Anyway, I'm going to ask uh, Stephen to come up and I'm going to pray for him as he comes. Father God, thank you so much for all that you have done over the years. And thank you for what you're still doing today in this place. And we just ask now, Lord, that as Stephen comes to bring your word, you might empower him, you might fill him with your spirit, and that we might have ears to hear and hearts to understand what you have to say in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Nick. Are we on air? Are we okay? I think, yeah. Yes. Perfect. Okay. Well, I've got a loud voice anyways. I never found to be amazed how God tends to put things together and elements of the worship and things that Nick has said and the fact it's communion and how it ties up with what I want to say this morning. And there's been no planning from, from my part. It just seems so often to fit together. And yeah, I'm still always amazed. I mean, we had the, um, we spoke about that, or sang about the lion and, and the lamb. And uh, of course, you know, Jesus is both Jesus is the lion and is the lamb. And it reminded me, I don't know if any of you have ever read, or there's probably more the films now, seeing the books of Narnia uh, with Aslan. It's a really well-known um, little story now, I know, but it's to do with the beavers and Mr. Beaver. And I think it's Lucy, actually, the, the, the girl in the story. And um, you know, she sees um, Aslan and she asks, um, uh, is he safe? And of course, Mr. Beaver says, no, of course he's not safe. Uh, he's the king, but he's kind. And that is the whole thing uh, about Jesus. You know, he is kind. Uh, and he is love. Oh, goodness me. Sorry, I got my head in the bucket there. Is that you, Pete? Yeah, it's over there. <laughs> I've actually called the sermon this morning the death of death. Um, and as I get to the end, hopefully you will see um, what I'm talking about. Now, a few Sundays ago, I was speaking about the holiness of God. I was speaking about the righteousness and the justice of God. I'm talking about with Jesus and that's part of the Trinity of souls. You've got the Father, Son, and you've got the Holy Spirit. And so often we create this one dimensional character. Um, and so what I wanted to speak about this Sunday was the other part um, of God. So um, I, I spoke a bit about the lion, I think. Um, and this Sunday, I really want to speak um, a bit more um, about the lamb. And of course, one of the things when trying to understand um, the holiness of God and the righteousness is how can um, finite mankind understand um, an infinite God? Um, how can we ever really know who Jesus is? Um, in this life? How does the sinner comprehend the sinless? Um, and how, does, uh, how do we express the inexpressible? I mean, Isaiah, Isaiah um, 40, uh, verse 22, it has this uh, little verse that says, he sits enthroned above the surface of the earth, and his people are like grasshoppers. And I guess from God's perspective, that is what he sees. And the thing is, as us being grasshoppers, it doesn't matter how high we jump, we're never really going to be able to see above the top of the grass. And so, what is love? And that really is a very hard thing, I think, to determine. In the English language, we seem to have one word for love, whether it's love of an ice cream or whether it's love of a chocolate bar, or love of a, of a partner, uh, whether it's love of God. Uh, whether it's love of music or people, um, I often hear some of my wife's friends say, oh, I love the hat. 
There's just one word for love, whereas the Bible was actually written in Hebrew and in Greek originally. And I think Hebrew wins by a short shot because um, there are about a dozen words for love, depending on what kind of love you're talking about, be it filial love or um, agape love, which is the love that God has for us, whether it's covenantal love, which is what was the covenant between God and the Jewish people. And so sometimes it's difficult to express, I think, really, what love is. And the late John Denver, he, he, he wrote a song about love, and he was trying to capture what the essence is. Um, and I'll spare you the singing of it, although it does sound much nicer than you sing it. But yeah, words actually say, um, just some of it, perhaps love is like a resting place, a shelter from the storm. It exists to give you comfort. It's there to keep you warm. And in those times of trouble, where you are most alone, the memory of love will bring you home. And uh, another little verse just here says, some say love is holding on, some say letting go, and some say love is everything, and some say they don't know. The reading from God's word that um, I want to read to you now is actually from Luke, um, and it's from Luke chapter 23, uh, and I want to start from verse 35. And this is where um, Jesus was on his way um, to be crucified. He was carrying his cross. Um, and from verse 35, it says here, the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said he saved himself, let him save himself if he's the, if he's the Christ of God, the chosen one. Um, and the soldiers also came up and mocked him. And they offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there held insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for what we are getting, what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me. In paradise. So sometimes, perhaps, love is more about the doing, sometimes rather than the saying. And the love that we should have for God is a deep love. And it, it was very good. I thought we should have um, got Matt to, to do the sermon because he was talking about the treasure. And because my notes say that where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And I guess a quick check as to how much we love God is what is it in our life is the most important thing? Um, you know, is it our homes? Is it people? Is it our car? All these other things. And very, very quickly, I think that will determine exactly what our treasure is. And Jesus told a story um, to a Pharisee uh, named Simon. This is in Luke chapter 7, um, and that's verse 41, it starts. So in Luke 7 from 41. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. 
you have judged correctly, Jesus said. The one who has been forgiven much, loves much. The sinner that has been forgiven much, loves much. And in Matthew 23, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And Jesus tells another parable um, about a woman um, who came and she was wiping his feet with her hair and she was weeping over him. And that would have offended people in those days. I mean, that was, you know, certainly uh, the, the, the woman was a prostitute and that would have been uh, you know, a dreadful thing even to have her in, in your house. Um, but Jesus turned towards Simon who was expressing, um, you know, his reservations over all of that. And he said, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. So this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, my many sins have been forgiven, as a great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And so this, this woman, she loved Jesus deeply, truly, passionately, with all of her heart, that's where her treasure was, because she had been forgiven much. And I guess that when we realize how much we have been forgiven, what it costs Jesus for our salvation, then we will love him more than the majesty and the magnificence and the suffering really grips us. And so often when we talk about the crucifixion, the real impact of that doesn't drive home. Psalm 42 says, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you, O God. Does our souls, do our souls pant for Christ, for that living water? And so, the thief on the cross, an interesting story. There was no long salvation period. This thief didn't hear the word and decided that you know this was true and he wanted um, the Messiah. This, this happened in a very, very short space of time. It was 9 a.m. on the day that Jesus was being crucified. And there he was with a criminal either side. And as we read in the Bible, Jesus said to the criminal on one side, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And that's interesting because he says today he doesn't say you'll spend some time in perdition and then you'll eventually get into heaven with me or you'll sleep and soul sleep, as some have been saying, and uh, you know, at the end of everything, you'll rise to be with me. Jesus says, today you will be with me uh, in paradise. And I think it's the words of the criminal that show the evidence that he had a changed heart. The criminal on the other side was still hurling insults at Jesus. You Call yourself the Messiah, the King of the Jews. You know, why don't you save us? And even though he was dying, he was still hurling insults at Jesus. But this condemned criminal that actually reprimanded and said, we're getting what we deserve. This man has done no wrong. And how do you not fear God? He would have been a bad man. There's no doubt about it. I mean, the story doesn't tell us much um, about him. But the fact he was being crucified, even the Romans, as cruel as they were, didn't crucify people unless it was a very serious offence. 
So he could have been a robber, he could have been a murderer, he could have been any of these uh, awful um, you know, criminal types. We don't know. But he would have been the lowest of the low in most people's opinion. But then he looks at Jesus. And I don't know whether his cross was on the same level as Jesus. I sometimes wonder whether he looked across and looked into Jesus' eyes because they were both on that same level. Here were two men hanging, dying together on the cross. Did he see Jesus' eyes? Did he suddenly see that eternity that was spread out before him? Did he suddenly realize that here was the Messiah? This was the lion and the lamb. This was the alpha and the omega. This was the longing of the Jewish people down through the ages that God would send the Messiah. And I guess he must have seen some of that because he turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. There was a sign pinned above the cross of Jesus saying, this is the king of the Jews. It was meant as a cynical, mocking gesture. Pilate had put it up there. And what he was saying really was, if this is the best that you Jews can produce, well, you haven't got very much, have you? And it was meant to be an insult. But he didn't realize that he was actually telegraphing to everyone that was there a prophecy that had been written centuries and centuries before about the crucifixion of the Messiah. You can read that in Isaiah. Jesus was the king. He'd always been the king. He was still the king, even hanging there on the cross, and he always will be. The Lord's Prayer has these words, hallowed be your name, your will be done. Hallowed meaning holy, sacred, consecrated, and revered. And God's will be done. That's a hard one because it was God's will, God the Father's will, that Jesus would be crucified and that Jesus would suffer. I asked the question earlier, what is love? And John Denver tried to, to answer that. But I think that love is about that sacrifice, about that crucifixion. Jesus himself said, greater love of no man than this, that a man give up his life a friend. This was God, the creator of the universe, part of the Trinity, who was dying for you and for me. Jesus could have saved himself. He could have come down at any time. And yet he knew that to obey the Father's will and to die for us, that meant salvation for all who looked towards him. All that the Father had given him, as we said earlier, would never be turned away and would never be lost. Today, you will be with me in paradise, says Jesus, to the despised criminal. We look at the criminal on the cross and we think how different he is from us. But I guess he's not that much different from most of us. Uh, I guess that most of us haven't committed murders and robberies and all those kind of awful things. But we're still sinners and the miracle of salvation, whether it was this criminal on the cross, whether it's me, whether it's you, whether it's anyone, is an absolute wonderful miracle. And I find it breathtaking that so often 
people just suddenly realize that this is real, that there is God and that Christ is Savior, and they turn to him. And all of that sudden, our lives are changed. We awaken from death into life. And I often think of Lazarus in the tomb, where Jesus calls him and says, come out. Lazarus couldn't do anything for himself. He was dead. Dead men cannot think or speak or act. But Jesus said, come out. And we are the same in our sins. But unless Jesus calls us, then we don't hear the voice. And yet he does. And he's calling. And he's asking us to look towards him. Interesting that the criminal possessed an understanding that nobody else did up to that time, that Jesus actually had a kingdom. Nobody else had recognized Jesus' kingdom at that time. But Judas, Judas, Judas Iscariot, had sold him. Peter had denied him, and all the other disciples had run away. And yet this criminal, this man that was in his last breath, recognized that Jesus had a kingdom and wanted to be in that kingdom with Jesus. The watching crowd was sneering, and the centurions who were rough, and they were callous, the Pharisees, and all of Jesus' enemies that had been trying to silence it because they made, he made them look as they were, thinking more of themselves and their own righteousness and their own holiness. A Messiah that they had waited for for centuries, that their hearts longed for, was hanging there on the cross, and yet they didn't see him. All they saw was this abused and tortured naked man hanging there on the cross, and yet he was still king. From that cross, he was forgiving the criminal. From that cross, he was saying to the criminal, today you will be with me in paradise. No matter what the situation, Jesus is still king. Jesus is still the Messiah. He still rules and he still reigns and he still has that authority over us, wherever he may be. So to many people, we looked helpless, but helpless he was not. I've heard it asked sometimes, if God is real, why doesn't he show us? Then that would end all this confusion. We wouldn't have to think, is God real? Which religion is real? What about that religion? What about this religion? Why doesn't he just come to us? And the answer is that he did. We nailed him to a cross. You might remember the old hymn, some of you. It was my sin that nailed him there. And it was for us that he died. It was for us that he stayed. There is power in the cross of Jesus. And there was power that day. And there is power this day. God imputes our sin to Jesus. That's that whole amazing Good Friday. And I think it's a poor exchange from our point of view when you look at it. That Jesus gives us his righteousness, and he takes all of our sin. But hallelujah, I am just so glad that he has, because then we become the righteousness of Christ. It's not that we are righteous. We don't suddenly become righteous or perfect, but God sees us as righteous because he sees us through Jesus, and it's Jesus' righteousness that God sees. So when he looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. So our sins were nailed to the cross that day, saved, justified. 
amongst all the clamoring of creeds today, all the people that are shouting about, about the different beliefs, there's only one king, there's only one cross, and there's only one savior. And I think of Isaiah 49, chapter 49, verse 16 says that our names are engraved on the palm of his hands. And I just think that he is nailed to that cross. And as the nails go into his palms, it goes into our names that are engraved on the palms of his hands. We are nailed, we're crucified with Christ. And scripture says that we are crucified with Christ. And so to come back to what I was saying at the beginning, the death of death, death is no more because the death that Christ suffered once and for all for us means that we have eternal life in Christ. And as was repeatedly been saying, those that the Father has given to Jesus will never be lost. Salvation is a one-time experience once and for all and is a gift that will never be taken away. Death is swallowed up in the victory of Jesus. At 3 p.m. that same day, 9 a.m. he was hung on the cross, 3 p.m. That's when he died. That's when he said, it is finished. And in those days, in the criminal law, if you had uh, a criminal that was locked up for a particular offence, they would write all the offences on a sheet of parchment or something, hanging outside the cell. And as he served the sentence for each particular crime, they would cross it out. And when he had served the whole of the sentence, <coughs> excuse me, they would write underneath, testatile, which means it is finished. And that was the cry of Christ on the cross. He had served all of the sentences for all of us for every sin that we would ever commit and the sins of the world. And he cried, it is finished. So my prayer is that we will remember with gratitude and with thankfulness, reverence and praise, give our lives for the glory of Christ. Where is our treasure? Our treasure is in Christ. And I believe that we need to devote ourselves more fully to the understanding of Jesus. When we look at what he's done for us, how can we not make him the central part of our life? How can he just be that something rather than that everything? I started off by talking about the song of John Denver, talking about love. Um, I want to finish when Pete's going to play um, a song here from um, Christian uh, Getty um, and her husband. It's a song called Christ, Our Hope in Life and Death. I don't know, the tune may not appeal to everyone, but please listen to the words and let them really absorb into you and just think and reflect on the wonder and the amazing beauty of Christ and what he has done. And may your day be blessed, may your lives be blessed, and may you be full of the joy what is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence that our souls to Him?
Christ is ours forevermore. 